We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Monday night, our first show after the Timberwolves season. We had our end of season media availabilities with Timberwolves players today, along with Gerson Rosas and Chris Finch. So on today's show, I'm going to kind of run through a best of clips from those interviews if you uh, if you miss them. Kind of just put in one final bullet point on each of these guys before we head into the offseason. So this will definitely be an audio clip heavy show. And I think the place here has to be uh, to start with Rosas. We, we, haven't, uh, we haven't heard much from him on the record since the, the trade deadline. And as I talked about last night, I, I was excited going into this to, to hear from Rosas on the record. Um, just kind of where he's at with this team. And, and part of that excitement was just a about the fact that Rosas was great after the trade deadline when he when he kind of did a state of the Timberwolves sort of thing. It was it was probably the most transparent I thought Rosas had ever been um, in an interview. He talked openly about kind of the the failures of the team through the first half of the season, and and I thought that helped clarify what his plan was for the you know for the second half of the year um, and what he sort of envisioned to happen under Chris Finch. So. In that, you didn't really have to like, you didn't really have to parse his words like you sometimes do and read tea leaves to understand what he was trying to get across. Unfortunately, today it was it was a little bit more convoluted. Um, he did talk at length about this team. There was a you know, a ton, a ton that was said by all these guys. I mean, Rosa spoke for thirty five minutes today, which is rare, definitely valuable to all of us reporters. Um, and he doesn't have to do that, but. Um, there was a lot more to kind of parse through with his with Rosa's comments today, and and it was kind of back to breadcrumbs to understand what his his messaging was. Um, I thought his best answer from from those thirty five minutes came from a question from Britt about the future of the power forward position, and it it might have been as clean as it was because Finch answered that question. Finch and Rosa's did their presser together, and Finch talked before Rosa's did. So it kind of might have nudged Rosas a little bit towards transparency. So first, I'm going to play for you uh, Finch's answer to Britt's question, and then I'll get to I'll get to Rosas right after that. Gerson, um, you said a couple of times that you're interested in upgrading or tweaking the power forward position, and I know both you and Chris have talked about uh, improving the defense being a priority this year. And I'm kind of wondering uh, how those two things overlap, in particular, given perhaps some of the changes in the game and how the four is being used on offense and defense, what you're looking for in terms of making that change. And then also to Chris, as you begin to look at, you know, what defenses you're most comfortable with, 
what kind of power forward or what kind of front court are you envisioning? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, we've said that we do have the luxury when you have a skilled big like Cat to have different types of full, uh, power forwards to plug in next to him. Um, you know, it could be a, more of a, a physical rim protecting type guy uh, or, or an aggressive, you know, multi-skilled switch defender. Um, you know, we, I think so. We'll see what what's out there. I really do. I think I have every confidence in Gerson, his crew to bring us the best available guy, if that's what we decide to do. Um, I think ideally, you know, we do need to improve our rim protection, our rebounding and our pick and roll defense. Um, you know, I think we've seen a little bit of a renaissance in big men this year and what they can do. Um, you know, sometimes you may want to zig when the, other, the when the rest of the league is zagging, if you can do it at a high level. Go, uh, so that leaves open opportunity to play with, you know, two, two more quote unquote traditional bigs, um, you know, and it's just about, again, with, we, with the talent that we already have and the, and the particularly the offensive talent, it would be great if we could kind of augment with some defensive component, but it can't be at the expense of cannibalizing what we do really well offensively. I love that answer. I, I think uh, I think Finch is both being hopeful there and but also realistic. I think not only from these comments, but from some of his recent comments from from Finch, kind of like when he's talked about McDaniel's. I think we can I think we can glean that his preference for the future of the power, what his preference is for the future of the power forward position. It seems pretty clear to me that Finch in a perfect world would like to have McDaniels be a three and for the power forward position to be addressed by, you know, bringing someone else in. But I, but that's just the hope. I, I think Finch gets it or that, you know, it's been cl made clear to him from Rosa's that there's a, you know, there's a decent chance that addressing the front court this off season in a meaningful way will be kind of difficult to do and might not happen. They're just, there aren't many paths to acquiring that guy and those right those paths are by trading either Rubio or Beasley for a, for a power forward which is easier said than done or by landing one in the lottery which is obviously statistically a long shot so i do think it's interesting in there though that that Finch lays it out the three needs for this team defensively like one he said rim protection two rebounding and three pick and roll defense and i mean you know for me like that's miles turner's music <laughs> right there and and I, I just think that's right I mean that that's what this team needs defensively is is those three things now does that all come in one package like it might from Turner or do you kind of piecemeal that together um you know in all seriousness I think both Finch and Rosas know that adding a player of Turner's archetype would make the most profound impact on the Wolves defense because it would check all three of those boxes but also to Finch's kind of last point in there which is a good one, you know, addressing defense can't come at the expense of cannibalizing the offense. And as much as I push this Turner thing, you know, we have seen Turner be part of a cannibalization that's taken place in Indiana with DeMontis Sabonis. And as, as you'll hear here, here, here in Rosa's answer, there is, you know, there's definitely some philosophical alignment between how Finch kind of assesses this issue and how Rosa's assesses it. And along that way, you know, Rosas is the one making the decision. So he drops, he drops a few breadcrumbs about the four position in his answer. Brett, I, I feel like you've been eavesdropping on our personnel meetings, but uh, <laughs> we, uh, it's been a major point of emphasis uh, for us here um, over the last six weeks or post-trade deadline. Um, our staff has done a thorough job of exploring any and every option to upgrade that position. Uh, and to really address the needs on our roster, whether that's defensively uh, and rebounding, which are big concerns. We always want to marry our defense into our offense so they complement each other. The coach's point, uh, we don't want to cannibalize one over the other. I, you know, I do want to emphasize, though, that you know, with the success we're having offensively now with our personnel, it allows us to balance out uh, and address some of those needs in different ways. Uh, but we're looking at every avenue. And uh, it's an interesting time with this offseason. We've got scenarios in place. Uh, depending if we get the pick, there's some good options there to address some of those needs. If we don't get the pick, then we'll be in a situation where we will have flexibility, whether it's trade or free agency, to address some of those needs. 
but that's pretty paramount for it. Uh, how we address number one defense, how we address number two rebounding, and how does our current group of players complement those moves? Uh, one that's very exciting for us right now, uh, actually a couple of guys, Jaden McDaniels in terms of his flexibility and to play multiple positions and how does that pair up uh, with another big and cat. Uh, and even Nas, like Nas is making a strong case and coach is giving him an opportunity uh, to really maximize his role and to take the challenge uh, to address some of those needs for us. So they're both very uh, interesting development projects that could address some of those needs. You can even throw in there uh, Vanderbilt and some of his growth and tenacity uh, with his activity. So it's, it's good to have options. Our staff is very, very thorough on everything from trades, uh, free agency and the draft to address those needs. But we're spending a lot of time and effort uh, on that specific subject, Britt. Number one, I do appreciate that Rosas hasn't tried to like sell us a bill of goods all year at the power forward position. Like he's consistently brought up the fact that they need to address power forward and consistently remarked that kind of the power forwards currently on this roster are guys that he's always envisioned as more of backups at the position. You know, maybe one of them comes together and, and something happens. But I think Rosas has been honest and realistic about you know, what a lot of the bigs on this roster are. I mean, you heard him kind of do that again in this clip. He gives shouts out to Nas Reed and Jared Vanderbilt. But I thought I thought the two breadcrumbs in there were how he pointed to the offense being as good as it was over this stretch of time, kind of opening for the idea that they could potentially pursue a purely defensive player this offseason because the offense can carry that. I think what he's saying with that is that if there were still real questions in his eyes about this roster being elite offensively, that he would feel the need to add a defensive player who is also a two-way player, who is also an offensive option. Like to use, when he was back in Houston, like to use a Rockets example, I think I think what Rosas is implying there is that like this team could use a Luke Richard Mute guy in their rotation you know someone who is purely defense rather than someone like pj tucker who is very strong defensively but also somewhat of a shooting threat like of course we would all rosas included we would all prefer the two-way player but when you know when you only have so many resources to go around you got to kind of pick and choose your spots with asset allocation you know saving the extra value there you know, to be applied elsewhere, there's value in that. And Bob Mute and Tucker are actually a perfect financial example of that when they were in Houston, when Rosas was there. I mean, they used the full mid-level exception on Tucker. They gave him like $9 million a year. And Bob Mute was, you know, playing basically on a minimum contract. Maybe that's, you know, that's kind of the two paths here for, for Rosas to take while addressing this team defensively in free agency. I think what he's saying is maybe this team would be all right if it was just a Bob Mute type guy. The other little breadcrumb there, I thought, was was when he mentioned the draft as being a place where there are good options to address the power forward position. And, I mean, well, if if the Wolves do get their pick, they literally can only draft first, second, or third, and there's only one big guy being remotely considered as a top three pick in this draft. So Rosas is, I mean, he's basically saying that he's either really into the idea of Evan Mobley or he sees trading that pick for a more ready-to-go player as a real possibility if they do get that pick. I'm not sure what else he could be alluding to there, you know, if we take those words literally. I know I know Rosas is going to find a way to, like, make an offseason that seems pretty straightforward on paper, like, confusing and something we didn't see coming, like, I mean, I mean that in a good way, for sure. Like, I, I just think he'll find a way to string something together through the draft, the free agency, through the trade market that it's so complicated that we couldn't even really have predicted concisely. And it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of frustrating because on paper, this offseason should be pretty straightforward. I mean, everyone who was on under contract this season, other than Ed Davis and Jared Vanderbilt, is under contract for next year. We also know it's extremely unlikely that they trade one of their three best players they're not moving cat they're not moving ant and they're not moving delo and we also know they have no cap space so they can't really sign anyone i mean yeah they have their mid-level exception but they can't they can't use that probably without going into the luxury tax so 
there just isn't even really a clear path to change. Really, the only question mark, it seems, is we're laying out the bullet points of this offseason. Like, the only question is whether they keep their pick or not. And there's a now a 72% chance that they don't even have that pick. And they already traded their second round pick. So it's kind of like, what what are they gonna do? What even could they do? But at the same time, like we'd all be lying if we were if we didn't admit that we think they're definitely going to do something this summer. I, I just think that's true. And with that, that kind of leads me to this theory that I've had for a long time. You know, I don't, I don't think they pursue stuff normally. I don't think they, I don't think they view not having cap space or financial flexibility as a hindrance to adjusting the roster. I think Rosa's decided a long time ago that they're just never going to, get free agents to sign here. It's it's cold here. The the organization doesn't have a good reputation, etc. whatever. Like basically Rosa's realized years ago that the only way they're going to add players to this roster is through paths that force players to play in Minnesota, which are the draft that forces you to play for the team that drafts you or in a trade that trades force you to play for the team that traded for you. I mean, look at the roster, right? Cat drafted, Delo traded for, Rubio traded for, Beasley traded for and then, and then signed and restricted free agency. Edwards drafted. Hernan Gomez traded for. Culver drafted. Those are all the players on the roster who make over five million bucks. What I'm what I'm saying is that it, it's pretty obvious that Rosa's filled up the books intentionally. Like I don't think he cares that they don't have cap space. I think Rosa's realizes that cap space isn't always the way you know, the best way to build a team these days, particularly if your team you're building isn't in California or New York. So that's what actually what I asked Rosas about today in, in his press conference. Gerson, um, this, obviously you've talked about how this is a big summer. And I think for, for a lot of people who maybe don't know the rules, um, will think of uh, a team needs to improve. They need to add to the roster and your roster doesn't have salary cap space going into next season, but um, could, can you maybe explain why that has been a tactic that you guys have used in the lead up to this summer of actually filling up your books um, in advance of that to whether it be development or, or what all might have gone into that and why you have a different plan on how to build out this roster um, outside of using cap space? Uh, yeah, Dane, uh, you know, from a team building perspective, I, I think you hit on something strategically that's that's very imperative. Uh, when I, uh, when I, me and my staff came over to the organization two years ago, uh, that was the current state of uh, the salary cap position. And the reality is each market has different strengths, different weaknesses. For us, we've identified uh, this market as one where uh, the natural progression of talent is done through the draft or it's done through trades. Uh, you can be creative, you can be aggressive in free agency uh, and find the right target, find the right prospect. For us, our goal is, is high-end players. Okay, quick pause here to translate that, and it's fair, he just can't say it. But what Rosas is saying there is one, no one is signing in Minnesota in free agency, and two, Tibbs screwed the books over before I got here, and I've been scrambling for two years to rectify that from trading Wiggins to trading Teague to trading Jang. Yes, all that. Okay, carry on, Gerson. But at the same time, there's other ways to do it instead of just a traditional way of having cap space. Uh, when I initially came here, we were pretty aggressive through signing trades. And a lot of that is uh, the ability to add an incentive uh, to create uh, those salary spots to acquire players via trade. And in a lot of ways, that continues to be our strategy. Uh, we want to operate at a, at a salary level where we have the resources in place to make those trades. And as we're able to build up assets in our organization, uh, and whether that's draft picks or uh, players on, on, on good contracts or are outperforming their contracts or uh, different assets that different teams value, uh, it gives you the opportunity to acquire more talent via trade. And for us, uh, and I think you bring up the development piece, which is key as well, we have to invest in ownership within an agreement and as much development opportunities as possible. Uh, it's a little bit similar to baseball in that the more shots you take at it, the more shots you'll have success. 
Nobody bats a thousand in this business. You just want to have more right than wrong. And when you're right, you want to be right at a high level. And uh, that's important as you develop the base of talent in your organization. So to have an ownership group that has supported us, to have an ownership group that has given us the resources uh, to be aligned and bringing talent in, developing talent, and now with Coach uh, maximizing that program uh, on the court, uh, we have to continue to build. We have to continue to invest. And a lot of it will happen in trades as we've been very active. Um, we'll target players in free agency if we feel like there are strategic values uh, or they're high-end players. And uh, fortunately, the system gives us the opportunity to be creative in signing trades to do that. So I think the main tea leaf there is that they'll be strategic in free agency, which probably means something low end if they can find a value, again, like the Bamute type thing. And also, the second tea leaf is that they're going to, quote, be very active in trades. But more specifically, he brings up sign and trades. And that's, you know, that's another thing for us to kind of study up on and look into this summer. Like really, if you look at Rosa's track record of the offseason, Sign and trades have been something he's been very involved in during his time here already. You know, Rosas realizes that sign and trades are kind of the modern day way to hack not having cap space. If you remember, like he actually assisted the D'Lo trade to Golden State and KD to Brooklyn by being the facilitating team in the deal. Like the Wolves took back Shabazz Napier and Trevion Graham in that deal. Golden State and Brooklyn could not have completed that trade without Rosa's facilitating that sign and trade. Rosa's also acquired Jake Lehman in a sign and trade back, what would that been, 2019 summer. I mean, that's a super small example, but it might, you know, that might actually be a pretty good example of the way that they add to this roster, a, a new version of a Jake Lehman level type player. That's how it would kind of be the way they have to do it. It's their way to get around not having cap space if they want to bring in a free agent. As he said, you, I mean, you, you basically have to tack on just an incentive to make those deals work, and it's usually a pretty small incentive, which makes sign-and-trades a good way to build your team out. And when we consider the sign-and-trade path, you know, there just becomes a wider universe of players that the Wolves can consider. I think just on paper in a vacuum, you kind of have to draw a line through all the free agents who are going to make more than nine or ten million bucks because all the wolves have is their mid-level but if you want to uncross off those players a sign and trade is your way to acquiring those players who will cost over 10 you know 10 million bucks to sign this summer i mean just at the power forward position you know here are a few names who probably fit that bill of being a free agent and also likely commanding something over 10 million dollars over that mid-level line guys like paul Millsap, derrick jones jr P.J. Tucker, Jermichael Green, those guys are all free agents this summer, or they can be free agents this summer. And, you know, they're all players that the Wolves have previously registered registered interest in. Daniel Tice is a free agent. Nerlens Noel is a rim protector who is a free agent. Otto Porter Jr. is a free agent. Trevor Ariza. Or there's, of course, the big one, John Collins is a restricted free agent. And the way that the Wolves would have to acquire him would be in a sign and trade. If the Wolves land one of those guys, it won't be because they have cap space. I mean, and that's because they don't really care about having cap space, you know, given kind of the functionality we're seeing of sign and trades in the NBA these days. I think these are the first tea leaves uh, from Rosa's of the offseason. You know, obviously we're connecting some dots. You got to do that, but there are certainly breadcrumbs in there from Rosa's commentary today. And uh, I don't know. I think that's where we start. After we take a quick break here, we'll get to some of the exit interview commentary from Carl Anthony Towns, Ricky Rubio, uh, DeAndre Russell, and Anthony Everts. I think that's everyone who I included in the thing. Quick break. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. 
Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instacarma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and there are free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Look, no one's perfect. So if you feel like you come up short in the bedroom sometimes, it's perfectly okay. But if it's bothering you, there are options. Go to GetRoman.com slash more now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash more and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash more now to get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. GetRoman.com slash more. Get started now to save $15 on your first month of treatment. Before we get into a a few other clips from today's exit interviews, I'm going to rattle off a few notes from today um, so I don't totally overload you with audio clips. Uh, One, Malik Beasley said he's open to coming off the bench next season so long as it will be best for winning. Um, I wouldn't say it was a particularly convincing statement. Uh, I doubt that would be his preference, but he did say, quote, I'm focused on winning, so whatever the case may be for winning when I asked him about his comfort coming off the bench. I mean, obviously, that's an interesting and relevant development given the development of Edwards and McDaniels this season and just sort of in how Beasley's, you know, strengths and weaknesses fit in to this roster. I'm I'm sure Britt and I will dig into that one a little bit more um, on tomorrow's pod. Two, uh, Jane McDaniels said he will definitely play in Summer League this summer, and he, he actually sounded excited about it, and I think he should be. I think... I mean, Summer League gets like a bad rap, like it's some sort of uh, G League demotion. But Summer League's a great place to develop, to, to do things that you don't get to do in your normal role in the NBA, which for Jaden McDaniels is basically like dribbling. It will be fun to watch, you know, the Wolves probably run their summer roster through McDaniels. Finch actually said that they're going to have a, a lot of the current guys playing in Summer League, so... If we were thinking dudes like McDaniels, Nasri, Jared Vanderbilt, like have played too much in the league to play in summer league, well, I think I think we gotta rethink that. Maybe Jared Culver too. I'd say definitely Jalen Noel. I mean, it'd be fun. I mean, that that's kinda that's kind of a squad. And then thirdly, the other kind of newser thing was was Kat saying that he will not be getting surgery on his wrist this summer. Uh, it sounds like the options were to get that operation done right away or to kind of take the rehab path that he's taken. You know, to, to some extent, that, that wrist has bothered Cat all season. Um, even still, seems to be bothering him some. Hopefully just, you know, for these next few months here, staying off that wrist as much as possible, not, you know, not taking a beating on it, will get him back to 100%. I mean, it's, it's like five months from now until the season actually starts. So Cat and everyone on this roster should be 100% well before, you know, even training camp. I guess the one other kind of newsy thing real quick was Finch saying that they they plan on having eight to ten guys living here and working, uh, working out at the facility here in Minneapolis. Uh, everyone's going on vacation for two weeks, but they're coming back, Finch said. And... And that's big. That's a new thing under Rosas. I remember, you know, being around when, when Tibbs was here and going through the facility. And it's, it was dead in the middle of the summer. I mean, very few players were here um, in the summertime under Tibbs. And as, as Rosas said, like, their, their kind of belief is that next season is already underway for this team. All right, as far as players go, the player I want to start with here is D'Angelo Russell. 
And I was just thinking, like, with, with everything that's happened with Ant over these past six weeks or so, and, and how good Ant has been, you know, justifiably so, I, but I just think we've brushed over how strong D'Lo has been over this stretch since, you know, since he came back 22 games ago. I'm, I'm constantly on the pod listing off Ant's stats since D'Lo returned, but, like, <laughs> just as much as Ant's numbers have improved over this chunk of time compared to, like, the first six weeks of the season like so have Delos since Delo returned 22 games ago these are his numbers 19 points per game three boards six and a half assists 38 percent from three 49 percent from two and 56.5 true shooting percentage that's like basically league average and those are those are almost the exact same numbers as his final year in Brooklyn if you kind of like spread them out for 36 per 36 minutes like Delos those numbers are all a little bit diluted because D'Lo was coming off the bench for, you know, 15 of those games. Really, even his shooting is, is up a little bit from those Brooklyn days. I thought this was a really interesting quote from D'Lo um, when he was asked about his fit here in Minnesota compared to his fit uh, at previous stops along the way. Hey, D'Angelo, how does what you're asked or what maybe what you think how you fit in with this team and what you do with the other pieces around you compare with to maybe what you've had to do given your roles at other stops? Um, I think situation, you know, played a part. Um, in the past, I've been in situations where um, I was just wanted or maybe, um, you know, just wanted, not needed. Um, I wouldn't say I'm needed here, but I feel needed. You know, they do a good job of, you know, making guys feel needed here and making guys feel a part of, you know, the future and, and things like that. So I think that that gives guys um, more comfortability, you know, knowing that they're needed. And, you know, you're hearing it from Gers' um, voice alone. He's saying how much he wants you here and needs you. So, I mean, I think that gives guys confidence and, you know, it instills confidence in us to want to get better in the offseason because, you know, you, you're potentially coming back. You know, I've never thought of going into the summer knowing that the chances of me coming back is high. You know, I've been moving around a lot. So just having that um, security is a great feeling to have. I mean, D'Lo's a piece of this. And and there's there's been a lot of doubt about that from this fan, fan base, I think, or from what I can read. Like, I don't know, some of that skepticism was warranted. Like, the Golden State year was not the Brooklyn year. And D'Lo's defensive limitations are a factor when you look at like, the, the defensive limitations of the rest of the roster. But, I mean, if Gerson Rosas traded for D'Angelo Russell thinking that he was getting the player from D'Lo's Brooklyn days, like, I think Rosas can say he's got that. Well, there's still questions about how this all fits together, and D'Lo still makes a lot of money. You know, he, it's going to be hard for him to shake the baggage of the fact that he gets paid that much, and, and he won't be able to, like, shed the fact that he was, he was traded for a really valuable draft pick. But... You know, I mean, we all would have signed the max contract if that was put in front of us. And he didn't, you know, he didn't force Rosas to trade the first round pick. I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like this notion that D'Lo is like valueless is just really wrong. Like if you've been watching these 22 games, like D'Lo's come back and shown that he is a weapon. I think, I don't know. I, I think the fan base should be excited about what he might be able to do next year. As a 25-year-old, I mean, he's still young. He's coming into, he's coming into his prime. The other point guard uh, also spoke to us today. Ricky Rubio has, uh, you know, he's just kind of been a stream of honesty to the media all season. Uh, he he was laying out what was wrong when things were wrong, and he took blame for his role in what was going wrong. And I felt, uh, I feel by him doing that earlier on in the season, it makes me listen a little bit more when when he talks more positively as he did uh, today in this interview. Ricky, when you, when you, when you talk about how kind of your maybe leadership has, has carried more weight at this season, this season, when, when you've been playing at the times you've been playing at the, your, your highest level, what, what does that look like for you in your head? If you come back next season and you're, you're starting, you're starting from that point right at the beginning of the year, like what impact as a leader will that have on, on day one of next season? Uh, it will be better, uh, and it helps starting tomorrow to know where and how you're going to be. Like I got, 
traded in a weird situation and right away coming to a situation where it was not normal for anybody of, of us. And he was trying to figure out this is the NBA for real, but this was the world we were living in. Uh, coming 45 minutes before to test, uh, sitting on your chair, uh, couldn't like really hang out with your teammates. So it was a lot of things going on. Uh, but knowing who's the coach going to be next year, how he wants me to uh, play, what kind of areas I can improve for their game. Because on the off season, you usually work on your game, but to fit in the system you're in too as well. Uh, and I'm not a, a natural scorer. So I, I go and, and see the plays that we have as a team and see where we where I can be effective and all this stuff. And, and work on that and having a, a coach like Finch uh, with his high IQ basketball offensively just gonna uh, watch the plays and, and, and know where to where to work my game on. Does it feel like you're you're back in Minnesota? I mean it, you talk about how weird of a year it's but you know what I mean like it does it, <laughs> yeah I, I, I get what you're saying and it doesn't feel fans weren't here from the beginning. Uh, a lot of things have changed. It didn't feel NBA at all. Uh, to be honest, it, it was different, but it was a situation we were living in. Uh, it's not just basketball, it's everything. Like we were going on the road and it didn't feel like going to LA or, or whatever it was because you were stuck in the hotel, you couldn't go to restaurants. Uh, so it was like a little weird. Rubio also talked in his other answers about how he's such a routine guy and how like the lack of routine this season, he felt threw him off more than it might have other players. He, you know, he talked about before the last season, you know, he's coming off of playing his best basketball of his career in the World Cup and then playing, you know, at a high level in Phoenix the year before that. And then just kind of whatever, you know, he said, just kind of whatever momentum he had there really crumbled away once he got and once he got to Minnesota. I mean, Rubio would say it himself. Rubio was not good at the beginning of the year at all. He looked slower and his offensive impact just wasn't there at all. And, and to some extent, like after the break, he looked better. Um, still though, overall, like Rubio's shooting numbers were not good this season and it, it didn't, it didn't improve. It did not improve from the first half of the year to the second half pre all-star break Rubio shot 33% from three and post all-star he shot 29 and percent from three. So I guess technically it got worse. One interesting thing though, that I noticed when I was just kind of going through his numbers and, and looking at the overall volume, um, in, in the first half of the year, Rubio shot one-third of his shots from three, which was like the same volume, you know, by yeah, by frequency that he shot in Phoenix. But if you look at this the second half of the year, post-All-Star break, more than half of Rubio's shots were were threes, which is far and away the highest frequency of threes he's ever had in his career. And you know, that's that's almost exclusively a product of, you know, needing to do that when you're playing. When when Cat's healthy, D'Lo's healthy, and Ant's healthy. If you're playing around all three of those guys, like a big part of Rubio's role has to be being a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. And that's really what it's going to come down to with Rubio. Like, can he make those catch-and-shoot threes at a good clip or not? He only made 31.5% of his catch-and-shoot threes this year. That's not going to cut it. And that alone, I mean, if you're looking for reasons to ship him out, like, that alone might be enough to say look, that fourth role on this team is needs to be a shooter to some extent, and you weren't a shooter. But the one little diamond in the rough here is the fact that Rubio made 41% of his catch-and-shoot threes his final year in Phoenix. You know, if he can do that, then Rubio's more than fine around Cat, D'Lo, and Ant. I mean, and, and Utah was a little bit better too. Like Rubio's first year there, he shot 37% on catch-and-shoots and 34% the year after that. I mean, an optimist would say that he shoots better when the team he's playing around is better. I guess a pessimist would say he's just a streaky shooter at best. Unfortunately, just given the rest of this roster, he's got to be a consistent shooter to be able to be, you know, meaningfully impactful on offense. But as we know, like Ricky's value is not exclusively in production. We know that one guy that would love to have Ricky back next year is Ant. And I thought this was a, a cool story from Ant talking about how Ricky kind of guided him this year. 
I said, Ricky, my dog, he pulled me to the side after the game last night and was just telling me how proud of proud he is of me. Uh, he was talking about, like, in the beginning of the season, when I wasn't finishing games, I wasn't playing that much. He was just like, look how, how, how far you come. How did that relationship evolve? Uh, I don't know for real. I think since the beginning. We, no, okay, so in, in, in um training camp, I took this last second shot, like we was down two, and I took it, and it, it, it rattled in and out. And Ricky was like, yo, uh, in this situation right now, we want to get the ball to Cat and D'Lo, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, all right, cool. So, uh, like, once, like, the second half of the season came, and then, like, I started showing him, like, what I really, what, what I can do, he was like, yo, now you can take those shots. <laughs> so, <laughs> nah, Ricky, my boy. I think that story pretty well sums up the Anthony Edwards story this season. Like the beginning of the year, he was probably taking too many shots and they weren't really going in. And then by the end of the year, he proved he deserved those shots and they started going in more. I feel like I've pretty effusively praised Ant here recently. I'm not going to read his stats off again and compare them to another star player in the league. They're up there, you know. His numbers have been great, both in terms of volume and efficiency. Like I said last night, I believe Anthony Edwards is is something to believe in. He just is. And that's that's a really cool development. I, I think a lot of you, you know, who've been listening to the pod since back, you know, back before when we were doing draft stuff, you know that I had LaMelo number one on my board. Um, it, was, it was like LaMelo 1A and Ant 1B, but I did have LaMelo 1, and... Really, as the year went along, it was kind of just a bummer how LaMelo was, you know, it was kind of the middle part of the season. He, he was pretty much playing at an all-star level for kind of, you know, those maybe like 20 or so games leading up to the all-star break. While Ant was still, at that time, very clearly trying to find himself. And then, you know, that's what really kind of like stung to me. There was, there was LaMelo in Charlotte already looking like an all-star. And here we had Ant, who had only kind of slightly hinted at the possibility of ever maybe being an all-star. At that point, like if it were me, I would have definitely taken the burden hand of LaMelo and you know, gone with a kid already at an all-star level, even if it still felt like it did at that time that Ant had a higher ceiling. But if I would have done that, I think that might have been the wrong decision. You know, what Ant has done over these final 20 games of the year is pretty much everything LaMelo was doing in his 20-game stretch during the middle of the season. But the difference with Ant is he still has that upside that is higher than LaMelo's. So that's a pretty cool place to be, I think, if you're a Wolves fan. As Ant said today, you know, he's got his eyes set on being an all-star next year. And that statement... And that statement not being preposterous is like is a signal of how far the kids come just over these past two months and really of how far he still can go. Ant's at the point now where, you know, he's just he's not a little kid in the league anymore. Like rookie year's over. Next year he should be legit competition for other all stars in the league. You know, not only during the season, but in the playoffs as well. And that's what I was thinking about in relation to Ant today, and that's what I asked him about. Ant, we've talked to you um, after a lot of these games. You play a Dame, you play a Braun, you play somebody like that, and and you know it's it's all love, right? And they they've they've got your back, and it's all those sort of things. Do you think about like next year when you're playing them? You're not going to be the rook anymore, and you're kind of like now you're a threat to them. Like one, what well, I guess, what does that feel like? And two, is that kind of like exciting to be able to not only just be competing against them but to be like really competing with them yeah for sure it's, it's definitely exciting for them to know like hey yeah he finna come at me how i'm finna go at you you know what i'm saying so yeah that's definitely exciting to for them to know that i'm, I'm coming out there ready to play you mentioned being an all-star um is is another one of those markers of success next year this team being in the playoffs Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. That's it's not even to talk about. Yeah, we we definitely gonna make a strong push for the playoffs next year. It's gonna be interesting to see where you know we line up this team next season when it comes to being considered a playoff team or not. I think I think we're all sitting here thinking like they gotta make the playoffs next year. Like it's it's time. 
But then, you know, I, <laughs> I look at the standings right now going into the playoffs, and the Lakers are the seventh seed, and the Warriors are the eighth seed. I mean, obviously, the Lakers are better than the seventh seed, but I mean, the Warriors are going to be better next year, too, right? Like, Clay back. You got to think they're going to make another win now move. Be hard to pick the Wolves to win more games than the Warriors next season. So, I don't know. I think then the question becomes who falls out of the top six teams to get in? Like, are the Blazers going to fall out? Are they going to. Do we really think they're going to, like, totally blow it up? I mean, they're the sixth seed right now. The Cat, the Mavs, are, they're probably only going to get better, right? They're the five seed. And then the top four seeds, I don't see the Clippers, Nuggets, Suns, or Jazz falling off. And that's not even considering Ja and the Grizzlies, who are the nine this year. And then even Zion. Like, Zion and New Orleans, like, they finished 11th. Like, those teams not in the top eight. Like, <laughs> they got John Moran and Zion Williamson. They got, they got their Anthony Edwards, too. I, I don't know if the, the Wolves will make the playoffs next year or not. I just know if they do make the playoffs that I will think of it as a hell of an accomplishment. And really, if they do, it'll be contingent on the one player we've, <laughs> we haven't talked about much today, Carl Anthony Towns. You know, how motivated is Kat going to be this summer by the fact that Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid are going to finish as the top two MVP picks? And how motivated is he going to be by, you know, Rudy Gobert leading the Jazz to the number one seed in the West? How motivated is he going to be to get the wins required to be back in those dudes' class? Doogie asked Kat about that today, and I thought Kat's answer was interesting. Kat, good morning. I'm curious, how driven are you to get back to an all-NBA level that that presumably Jokic, Embiid, Gobert are going to finish ahead of you again? Uh, All-NBA comes with wins. I've known that better than anybody else. It's not a stat game. So um, if, if we if, if, to get to All-NBA level, I think I've done a, I've done enough uh, individually to do that. But it's not about that. To, be, to get those awards and stuff, you got to win. And, you know, obviously the one year I made All-NBA is the playoff year. So, you know, I think the formula is pretty simple. The formula is simple. He's right. Uh, but the pre-work to get the wins to get there is what Cat has got to get ahead of this summer. If he wants this team to win like those teams are winning, he's got to have the best summer of his life. He's got to come out and be at the peak of his powers. Like, he's got to be prime, prime Cat next year. And he's going to be 26. But at the same time, like, Cat's earned a break. You know, it's been a hell of a year for him. And... You know, just working through all of it, like literally going to work, you know, in my opinion, that warrants him a break and you know, a, quite frankly, a, a break that I think will be good for him, even as a basketball player. Like he's talked, he's talked a lot at the end of this year about needing to get himself right, not only physically, but, you know, mentally as well. And it's good, you know, it, it's good that 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 seems like something he, he can accomplish and he does seem to have the right mentality going into the offseason, not only to get back right, but to take those necessary next steps towards getting better. For you personally, obviously, it's been a, it's been a very tough year. I'm wondering how, I guess, how are you going to treat the offseason? Are you going to take some time away, uh, get right back into it? How, kind of what's your plan for the next few months here? Um, You know, for sure, I'm going to take some time for myself. Uh, like I said uh, I, uh, before, uh, I'm going to take, the all right away, you know, just take some time for myself. I, I really been just, you know, life has been just absolutely insane for me. So taking some time for myself, uh, with my family, um, with my girl, just really, uh, enjoying the people in my life. And, uh, but it also doesn't diminish my, my, um, my vision, you know, I, I seen what we're capable of doing as a team. Um, for me the off season started now, it started last night when the game was over. Uh, I'm ready to work. You know, um, next four weeks are going to get some hard work in, some great lifts, and then uh, start getting ready for the, for the next season. You know, uh, basketball wise. You know, I'm gonna keep working. I'm gonna just keep working every single day. And um, you know, I see I see what we could be. You know, so I I got to put the work in and do my job. So I'm ready for next season and get. Um, help this team get to a playoff spot. So, uh, no, the work is not done. The work just started. And um, I don't think it's going to be much time down. Uh, obviously, I want to take, you know, a week or two to kind of really just enjoy my family's presence and, 
you know, see them after all we've been through and actually get to sit down with nothing else on the mind, you know, and then get right back to it. It seems like it's a long way, but it, it always comes quicker than you think. You know, we're a little, little over a month out from the lottery, two months out from the draft, free agency starting right after that, and then summer league kind of happens in the middle of free agency. So I'm four months from now, we're going to be back and training camps can be happening. So it is a, it's a break now for the Timberwolves players, but only, only a temporary one. For the pod, we're also approaching a break from a Wolves perspective. Britt's going to come on tomorrow and we'll button up this season with kind of let Britt give his final thoughts on the year. We'll bounce that stuff off of each other, but that'll kind of be, you know, unless something crazy happens, that'll kind of be the end of Wolves talk here until we start, we start talking about draft prospects and how they might fit this team. That, that'll probably be more so June. Uh, at the same time, like I've been saying, we're going to have plenty of playoffs talk along the way, so stick with the pod. Uh, again, like I said last night, thank you. It's been a blast. I appreciate you all. Um, hopefully, though, this will be my last solo pod for a while. I can feel my voice dying. This is Tonight is definitely a new personal record for longest solo pod ever. But I do think it was good to put kind of a bow on this season, get out uh, what all these guys had to say today, and uh, we won't be hearing from them for a while. But I will be back tomorrow with Britt. Until then, I'm Dane. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.